Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The greatest ever got beaten up for 30 minutes by a guy who had never done it. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining a special episode of your welcome guys. I was on vacation, but I had internet. I went to ESPN.com. I watched the boxing match. Let's get into it now. Boxing is fake. Boxing sucks. How did we get there? How did this happen? And it's not just that this happened. I'm talking about. Francis Ngannou, who had never done this, but wanted to. He'll tell anyone that'll listen that was his real dream. Tell people even when he's in MMA that, that that was his real dream. That's what he wanted to do, but the opportunity came in MMA. Wanted to or not, he never did it. And people were very quick to say, well, sure he did. Yeah, he did. He did, he did it every day. He was in there every day. Well, do you know where he trains? I mean, before you say that, do you know where he trains? Trains at Extreme Couture. Do you know any boxers that come out of Extreme Couture? And I'll even accept amateurs. If you know any boxer 
amateur, child, adult, senior citizen, whatever you got. Do you know any boxers that came out of that gym? And the answer is no. And I'd say, what well, do you know who his head trainer is? You say, he's got, well, he's got the best head trainer. My God, he's, he's got Eric Nixek, the coach of the year. That's true. The MMA coach of the year. That's true. He's got Dewey Cooper, who just might be a genius, by the way. Not to, I mean, he, this guy's a motivational wizard, Dewey Cooper. Finally getting his credit. I'm so happy to see that. Loves striking. Understands it so well. Do you know the corner of a boxer, and I'll accept amateurs, that Dewey Cooper has ran? No, you don't. So I hear people say, right, and I'm combining two fights. I mean, this is devastatingly difficult to see happen for a guy in my shoes. I love boxing. That is my second favorite sport. I had dreams of being a boxer. I used to walk around the house and I'd have black shorts on. I'd have the black socks. I'd pretend that they were boxing shoes. I didn't even know where to get boxers. I'd pull my black socks up and I'd take a towel. I'd cut a hole in my mom would be furious. But that's what Mike Tyson walked to the ring in. Mike Tyson never wore a robe. Stuck his head through a cut towel. That's how he walked to the ring. Wore black trunks and he wore these black. And I'd walk around the house and I'd tell my mom, I'm going to get you a house. I'm going to buy you a house. I'd be shadow boxing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I never did that with an MMA fighter. MMA wasn't even a thing at that time. I'm just sharing for you. It's very difficult for me to see that that sport isn't real. It's very hard. I believed it was. I believed it was a sweet science. I believed it was an actual science. He goes here and you come here and you go here. But if you do that and he steps out here and if you're fighting a southpaw, you got to make sure your foot's inside. It can't go outside. If it goes outside, it's coming to the liver. It stays inside. You go to the head. I, I believed all of these things. Footwork, feeling out process, all of these things. And I'm not just confronted with a strange 30 minutes known as Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury. I'm not just confronted with that. That fight and that 30 minutes represents this second fight and the second 30 minutes where I have seen the greatest ever get beaten up by a guy who'd never done it. Floyd versus Connor represented that, of which people were very quick to say that wasn't the Floyd. And my favorite, of course, the size difference. I, I love that the boxing apologizers continue to say there was a size difference with Connor and Floyd. They weighed in the day before. Like, like well, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder if these guys were four pounds apart. They weighed in the day before. Well, but there's rehydration and there. I'll concede it to you. I'll concede it all to you. You win. You win. There was a size difference. You win. The size difference of Connor and Floyd Whatever you want to do, it's four pounds a day before, but whatever you want to, however much you think Connor put on, would not equal the size difference that Fury had the advantage in over Francis. So, so whatever the boxing apologists want to do, I'm not looking to put boxing down. This is a sport I did every day of my life. I, I don't take a praise in this. This isn't a victory lap for MMA. This is very hard for me. But it was also something I was confident I would never go through. When mixed martial arts started under that term, they would call it no holds barred and they would call it cage fighting, but they wanted it known that you were going to mix the martial arts, not mix them into one complete athlete. You were going to take a Taekwondo versus a Judo and a boxer versus a wrestler. Just, just keep on going. We're going to get the Aikido and Kung Fu and every, which way that we can do it. And all the martial arts community, and it's not a very big community, but the whole community is going to come out and the Kung Fu schools will sit here and the Aikido schools will sit over here. And the wrestling team will sit over here in the corner. There's this new thing, jujitsu, and we're going to get a crowd over it. That's what they thought. And when it got revealed that Aikido doesn't work, that Kung Fu doesn't work, the karate will get you hurt, that ninjutsu is not a real thing. Like when it got revealed that Taekwondo, I mean, go right down the list. When it got revealed, these arts that many people worldwide had dedicated their life to don't work. 
instead of that embracing and then them transferring and learning some grappling or learning some jujitsu, instead of them doing that, the instructors who've been fooling and duping these students, right, this, this whole time, breaking boards and the boards, it's already been broken, it's glued together. The, the instructors that have been duping people from the beginning of time came and they all told their students, they did it quick, they did it collectively, they did it quick. Hey, don't watch this, don't support this. And whatever you do, don't do this. Well, why? Why would I not do this? Because our skills, what I'm showing you, you'll kill somebody. You'll put, you'll maim somebody. The things that we work here on this gym, do not ever use them. We as a karate institute, we can't even put our representatives in there. They'd have to hold back. The world can't hit, and they believed it, right? They believed it, you keep the gyms going. You keep it going, you keep the scam going, you keep on cutting the boards, you keep on gluing them together. It was one of these really interesting things. But I looked at it and I was, I was mind blown. I couldn't believe that they kept falling for it. I couldn't believe that the gym stayed open, the parents kept on taking the kids out. I couldn't believe these things and now it's happened to me. Now I'm in that spot, I'm telling you, very, it, it hurt, it's a hard spot. What else am I wrong about? What else do I have wrong? Do I need to sell my Microsoft stock? Do I not? Did I get? Did I make that prediction wrong? My kid's college fund. I mean, but really, you start to question these things. I was so sure that boxing was real. I was so sure that if you didn't start when you were in single digits, meaning seven, eight, nine years, forget it. It's not going to work. I was so sure that if you didn't try out and succeed at making an Olympic team prior to twenty-two years old, you'll never make an Olympic team. We haven't had Olympians over that age. Don't throw me an example or two. We see that that's from 14 to 19 year olds. We see that. We see there's no 30 year old that should ever pursue boxing. Even if it's on an amateur level, he can't do it. I believed all of these things. And then I see an undersized 37 year old who had never done it who was coming off of an injury, beat up the greatest heavyweight boxer I've ever seen. That's my opinion, right? I, I, and it's one of those things where you always have opinions, but mine is Fury. It's mine is damn sure not Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, 198 pounds in his prime. He's just too small, right? Fury, he'd just go crush him. Mine had always been Iron Mike Tyson. I think that Lennox Lewis had something special. I think Klitschko had something special. Fury beat Klitschko. I mean, right, I, this, for me, this is the guy. He's just, he's, he's so big. He moves so well. He's got the heart. He's got the condition. He's a second generation guy. He started as a little boy. He could throw combinations before he could recite the alphabet. These are all the things that I believed you had to have to be great. And then I see an injured 37-year-old who was provided an opportunity, who kept his same MMA coaches and kept preparing in an MMA gym. He didn't have all that much time. Nobody told him this was going to happen. Getting a deal done with the PFL. He's getting ready for MMA and healing a knee up. And they find, oh, hey, this is going to happen. They turn up the heat and they go into I mean, it. It's one of these situations. Do I not need to look for a second generation guy? Do I not need to look for a great boxer? Do I not need to take my kid out of school and do all of these things that these boxers that went on to have success at the Olympic level, to have success at the amateur level, just to get a pro card to go into four round fights, to six round fights, to eight round fights, to eventually get to 10 to 12 round fights. Everything that's ever been done that I've ever believed in that you need to do. Do I just need to go find a big, strong athlete? Can he be injured? Can he be 37? Can he have no experience? Like, wh what is it that this happened? Oh, by the way, it's the second time. And I hope you tell me the first time was about size. I really hope you do. Because the second time, boxing got the size advantage. They also got the youth advantage. They also got the reach advantage. And then they got their guy beaten up. But I'm just trying to figure out why. Why and how. Are there other 30-something-year-olds that we could try and not even put them in the ring with Fury, not have them go 10 rounds and get $10 million and be featured and be all over the world? Can I just take them to the, to the YMCA, but can I do them in three rounds and have them make an Olympic team? Can I take a 30-something-year-old and have them make an Olympic team? People love to say, well, Francis has been boxing his whole life. Well, yeah, it's fun for you to say, but you won't find any other element of martial arts that it works this way. Can you say he's been wrestling his whole life? Can you say he's been wrestling for the last 10 years that he's been doing MMA? Can you say that? Because you're trying to say that about boxing. Can you say it about wrestling? 
because I'll answer that question for you. No. There's no scholarship anywhere, including a junior college, waiting for a guy with those skills. Could I go put him into Abu Dhabi? Think he can deal with Cyborg? You think he can deal with Craig Jones? Think he can deal with Gordon Ryan? Think he can deal with Nicky Rod? Is that what you're saying? You think he can deal with Vinny? Is that what you're saying? I'll certainly listen. There's no other element of it that it works. So before you tell me, well, he's not totally brand new to this. Before you come and tell me that, he's not totally brand new to any of the other elements either. And you wouldn't begin to argue or lift a finger to argue and look like a fool that loses credibility to tell me that you could have the same result. But this isn't the first time, it's the second time. Two for two, the greatest ever got beaten up for 30 minutes by a guy who had never done it. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Francis and Connor? They did it when they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And they only had three or four and they went one and two or two and one or three and oh, it wouldn't really matter, but they at least had that in their background. Could you imagine? You'd still be stunned. They don't, though. They don't have that in their background. They have never done it, and they beat up the best ever, and it hurts, and it's a surprise, and the question starts to become how. The question starts to become why. Were they just great athletes? That certainly is part of it. And that's a part of it that you really have to understand. And it was another part of it that came out in 1993. When you use the examples of Taekwondo or karate, these styles that we believed in, that were taking over the gyms, that people would have, and we'd have a black belt, and we really, that would mean something to society. They'd never been in a fight, but we knew, well, you, you shouldn't fight them, but this guy's got a black belt. These things that we believe. But then over time, we started to realize it really wasn't the art itself that was so bad. It was the preparation, and it was the people that went into it. If you were going to go get a black belt in karate by the time you graduate high school, what, they don't offer that at the schools. So if you're choosing to do that in a gym somewhere, as opposed to going and getting recognized on the basketball court, on the tennis courts, on the wrestling mats, on the football field, right? it takes it's a different kind of athlete. If you were good enough to have made it in those others, that's what you would have done. You were, so you went over here and you hit out in a room and good, and good for you. But what I'm sharing is when we start to find out that kata and training doesn't work, but the skills were pretty good. So take those skills with real athletes, put it in an actual gym where they can spar and test those skills against something other than the air. We did find out through guys, whether it was Machida or Wonderboy Thompson, hey, those skills are actually pretty effective when trained properly. And then you do have another question of the great boxers. The really great boxers that we had, were they good athletes? Because the very few times that we see a good athlete go into boxing, he seems to do very well. Mayweather would be an example. Sugar Ray Leonard would be an example. Of guys that you watched at, their timing, speed, their focus, their footwork, their dedication, that you could see had they applied that somewhere else, they would have also excelled there. But there was nowhere for Mayweather to go. There was nowhere for Sugar Ray to go. Wasn't tall enough for basketball. Wasn't big enough for football. There's no money in wrestling. It's one of those weird situations. You come over to heavyweights. I mean, I'll tell you, heavyweights had a lot of success. I'm not looking to give him a hard time, but the guy can't fight a lick, but he's a good athlete. It's Anthony Joshua. If there's any adversity or push and pull, he's out of there. But there seldomly is because he's such a good, right? He's just such a special athlete. And that wasn't meant to be a knock on him. This is a reality where you do start to wonder, well, goddamn, how good would have the glitch goes done on the gridiron? Could I put them in shoulder pads and make them linebackers somewhere? Yes or no? It's yes or no, because for sure I could do that with Francis Ngannou. I stood with Ray Lewis, who if Ray, who's a world champion and a captain of the team that won the world championship, if Ray is anything, stud fits the bill, right? And Ray Lewis was talking about Francis. He wasn't even trying to put him over. He just got asked a question. He answered. He said, man, that's a whole different animal. That's a quote. Ray said, I am used to the best of the best. Francis is a different animal. And, they, and he, he, caught, he caught him off guard. And they said, what, what, what do you think? He'd go in football? You think he could have been on your team when you won the Super Bowl? He said, any position you want to put him in. That's coming from a world and Super Bowl champion who was the captain of the team. He said, you put Francis in any position you want to. Do you believe you could do that with Fury? Do you believe when you look at the athleticism of Conor McGregor that that would carry over into a number of other sports, real sports, by the way, real sports, that the junior high and the high schools and the colleges give scholarships for, uh, uh, real sports? Do you believe that Conor is more likely to be the starting position of the such and such team than Floyd, right? When you start to look at it, you go, okay, well, here is one difference. It's not necessarily that the sweet science sucks and isn't what we were told. It's, it's also a matter of when we got to look at the best ever and we got to look how calculated they were and we got to look how successful they were. 
they didn't do it in multiple sports. They were fully focused. Now, perhaps we read that data wrong. Perhaps we thought, okay, but because that's what it takes. You've got to be fully focused. You've got to be a second generation guy. Your dad didn't need to work on reading with you. He needs to work on throwing jabs with you. This is what we believe. Don't brush your teeth. We'll put gold caps on them. Like, this is what we believed it took to be really good boxers someday. Maybe we've got it all wrong. Maybe it's something you could pick up part-time if you took really good athletes. And that's not a huge argument that you can make. There's not a lot of tremendous that We see it come over in MMA. We see people that used to play. I'll use Jamal Hill scholarship, right? Got his college paid for playing basketball. Number of guys from the NFL. It's one of those situations where it, it seems to attract a better class of athlete. I can't tell you that Francis deserved it more, is more dedicated, had more experience, is younger, has a longer reach, weighs more. I can't tell you anything that Francis was that I could quantifiably put in a category and check off greater and more than than Fury, except he's a better athlete. So boxing might be fake. It might be heartbreaking and disappointing. And perhaps I dedicated a tremendous portion of my life and it was a waste of time. Perhaps I did. But perhaps we're looking at the data wrong. Perhaps it requires further review, a little bit more research. Or, or, perhaps it sucks. likes the name drop as much as I do. I'm well aware that of myself, but I got to meet Roy Jones Jr. And that was a big thrill for me. I got assigned to the same card as Roy Jones Jr. Now I'm in the back. Now I'm in the locker room with him. Now I'm going to compete in the same ring on the same night. This is a big thrill for me, right? So I'm at this event and do a grappling match against Michael Bisping. That same day, Rey Mysterio in his final retirement match is going to take on Kurt Angle. They're going to pro wrestle. Rey Mysterio's had, I think, about 15 retirement matches. But it's one of these cool things. Roy Jones is going to box. He's going to do some grappling, some pro wrestling, some boxing. All the same night. We're out in Arizona. We're staying at the same hotel. Go around for breakfast in the morning. We talk to Roy Jones Jr. He's down there. And Roy's opponent... At no point in this do I want to disrespect this opponent or do I want you guys to take it this way. This guy was a great guy. I got to meet him. He showed courage. But basically, it was a marketing ploy where a fan was going to be able to fight Roy. Now, that fan, to have the commission allow it, had to prove that he had a background and could be in there with Roy. But it was still a sweepstakes. You still entered it. You did it online. It was just an attention getting. The gentleman who ends up winning... Had a five and three MMA record. Five and three MMA record. Tremendous courage by this person. And I tell you, I, I don't, I'm not giving him a hard time. I'm comparing, I'm comparing him to the greatest boxer of the 90s. They don't say that about anyone, by the way. If I asked you who the greatest boxer of the 90s was and you loosely follow boxing, you will say Roy Jones Jr. And so will every pundit and fellow boxers of any weight class. If I asked you who the greatest boxer of the 60s was, you don't have an answer. You might have an opinion, but there's not an answer. There's not a collective answer where majority and overwhelming majority rules. I, the same would be said for the 70s. You look at the 80s, there's still great debates between Hernard, Hagler, uh, Duran, Leonard. I'm just sharing for you, Roy Jones was the best boxer of an entire decade. He's going to take on a guy who hasn't boxed before, but he's got some experience. He's 5-3. and three. I'm going to say the guy was 26 years old. So when I'm down with Roy in the lobby getting breakfast, he shares with me that he has concerns about the match. And his concerns are specifically about the awkwardness of the angles that MMA guys throw their punches from. And I was stunned. I was stunned. I mean, I'm standing there with, I'm standing with Roy. I know I can whip the guy that Roy's getting ready to box. And I know I can't whip Roy. And I'm, I'm literally thinking this. I'm going, wait a minute. I have such a tremendous respect for boxing. 
such a tremendous respect for boxing as a striking art, you're going to go out there and you're going to strike against a guy from a sport who does okay in his own sport that doesn't have a complete emphasis on boxing or at least on striking of any kind. Forget about the leg kicks, the elbows, the knees. not a com complete, right? It's just an interesting comment. And I've never forgot it because he specifically said the angles. Okay. Well, Tyson Fury talked a little about that leading into his match with Ngano. And if you watched Tyson Fury do interviews and build up for Ngano, Tyson was extremely aware of the problem that he had, which is I'm a scumbag for taking this fight. I'm the greatest heavyweight to ever live, and this guy's never done it. Oh, by the way, he's coming off of an injury. Oh, by the way, I have a whole other contract signed. But it's very relevant because Tyson's a solid performer. He's solid. He's not great. He's great for that sport that has no performers. So when Tyson comes out and he's trying to work the audience, it was just too clear. Well, Francis is the baddest dude in the world, and he's got a documented punch that's harder than any man out there. You can tell he's trying to sell because he knows he's going to go out and clean this guy up in 45 seconds. That's what he truly believed, and he was attempting to convince the audience. Try to sell the fight. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But there was times, there was a body language. Tyson Fury would not be a good poker player. He has tells. And that's okay. As I stated, he's not a great performer. Now, he spoke differently, both with his words and within his mannerisms, his body language. When he talked about concerns that he did have for the awkwardness of the combinations and styles of an MMA fighter. And Tyson's father, use John by example. Guy, he's great. I would love to meet this guy. He that you want to talk about performers, okay? <laughs> Old Man Fury is truly a delight for me. He is a treat to get to watch him perform. But the old man chose to take umbrage with a workout, a mitt workout that Francis Ngana was working on. And I did not see what the old man saw. I did not think Francis looked at a step in clumsy, but I've also seen Sh uh, Francis shadow box a number of times. I've seen him do mitt workouts a number of times as part of warmups and or training for his MMA. It looked very consistent. And when I saw Fury teasing him, I thought, well, what did he see? I mean, there's not a gracefulness. That's true. There isn't a fluidness. There's not, yeah, right, he's not moving. He's not Mayweather, which would also extend to Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury for heavyweight moves. Oh, it's, he's, he's beautiful. It's shocking how well he can move. His feints, the way he really moves. His shoulder rolls, his awkwardness, he'll switch stance at times. He's truly an incredible boxer. So John Fury, who's used to seeing that every day, maybe he did think there was something here with Francis, but there was also another side. When Francis was hitting those mitts, it was new combinations. Had a real emphasis within all the training footage that Francis put out of body shots. And he was also big and he was also strong. And he was also imposing. I did not see those workouts and see the same teasing that old man Fury did. But as we look back, the old man, I believe, would agree with me and say, well, look, when I saw that, that is also how Francis fought. That wasn't a joke. He wasn't putting out a joke piece. I mean, people put out joke pieces. John Hackleman specifically did not like cameras on his guys. And the second that red light went on, you take Chuck Liddell specifically, they would start playing. Chuck would do this a double punch. I mean, he did it almost every time if you watched his fight, but Hackleman would let him know, right? He had some kind of signal, whatever he said to Chuck. Chuck Coach Hackleman would see that light come on and Chuck knew, don't do. So I'm just sharing with you, that's not what Francis was doing. He was just getting a workout in and he put it out to the world. But I do think that the old man, Fury here, would come out and say that awkwardness is exactly what he went out and did to us. One of the things that happened in this fight, okay, and you got to understand, this is the story going in. You have to never forget, right? Don't let them take this from us, guys. 
if you're on the side of MMA or you're on the side of Francis or you're just on the side of justice to pugilism, the dirtiest sport in the history of sports, the first sport, and to this day there's only two, that a democracy, a government with a democracy, a sport is so dirty that government had to get involved. Nowhere in the free world does government oversee sport. They do in communist nations. Nowhere in the free world does government oversee sport, except here and except in boxing, which then extended to MMA. All right. But this is how dirty the sport is, okay? A couple of things were going to happen. If it goes to a decision, Francis is going to lose. Don't have to worry about that. Don't have to worry about corruption. It's, it's not going to get to a decision any more than McGregor is going to get to a decision with Floyd. Francis is going to be exhausted. He just doesn't know how to do this. He might come out and do a great job just like Connor. He can't do it for 30 minutes against this level of competition. These things were all very wise. If you were to bet on this, you're very wise. There's not, nothing surprising about this. And moreover, the reason he's going to get exhausted, he's just not used to these movements. It's not to say that Fury's in better shape. He can't go out and do these movements. Well, what was a shock is he didn't do those movements. Tyson Fury as a heavyweight has as good of feints. In fact, I believe the best feints ever for a heavyweight. I don't think Klitschko's feints were anywhere near this. Muhammad Ali had a lot of great setups, but not fainting specifically. Mike Tyson never fainted anybody ever. Just to put a perspective for you. He was search and destroy. Come out. Boom, boom. There was no fakes. Tyson Fury, will, he'll flinch and he'll make guys jump. But you got to understand this from an X's and O's standpoint. Okay? When that's what you train, when every day you flinch, you do some type of a movement to get a reaction from your opponent. Boom, boom, boom. And that's where you see the opportunities. Maybe he comes here. Maybe he comes here. Maybe he rolls this way. Maybe he closes his eyes. Maybe he steps back. You have a combination for every single reaction that that person could do off of your feint. Tyson Fury will not hit a heavy bag until he faints at first. It's it's neuro, it's psychological. He can't, he can't do it. He cannot let it go until he faints first and then gets a reaction. He is trained. It doesn't matter if he's done this from seven years old or not. He was trained starting at seven years old. I faint, you react, I attack based on your reaction. Rinse and repeat. All night long or until you can't take anymore. It's important that you understand this concept, right? I mean, boxing is not something that very many people understand. But you do understand feints and flinches, right? People do that on the school bus. They do it in the schoolyard. They flinch and they are oh, two for flinch and then they, right and the jerk like punches you in the shoulder or something. If you had an older brother, certainly you've been flinching, two for flinching, right? It's a very real thing. It doesn't change in the pros. Your flinches just have to be much better. It also get a guy very tired. It'll get a guy very tired when you're spooking. Get a guy very tired when you're spooking him. Best offense is a defense. You're attacking him. He's not attacking you. Or you're pretending to attack him. You're fainting him. He's not attacking you. Francis Ngannou didn't fall for a single faint. You, you must understand if you're trying to break this fight down and look at, look at the things that Francis did so well. And how did he do them? And it was tough. Where boxing wanted to go instantly was the quick lie. The lie for Mayweather versus McGregor was easy because Floyd helped it. To this day, Floyd will say, I carried him. Whew, thank God, you're a boxing, you just go, oh, he, he carried him. He carried, the only reason that was close is because Floyd was carrying him. It's a complete lie. It's quite literally against the law, by the way. But when you're in Nevada, you can admit to breaking the law. The commission will do nothing to you. And that's what happened here. It's, it's important that you understand that. If Fury would have said those words, it would have been such a relief to boxing fans. The problem with the excuses that you're even seeing today is Fury didn't say them. As a matter of fact, he said the opposite. He said, I trained 12 weeks for this fight. I've never trained 12 weeks for anybody. He said, that was the hardest fight I've had in a decade. He pissed all over Klitschko and White and Wilder two times. All of them. And he took the excuses away. I appreciate it about Fury. But... That was one of the biggest problems. Aside from the power of Francis, Francis walks right across the ring and stood his ground. Now, none of us knew that he would do that because it's all about a moral victory. 
for every second that he's out there, let alone a minute, let alone what if he could get a round in? What if he could get two rounds in? Oh my God, they'll never see the fourth round. But I'm just saying, what, that this is the win for Francis. How can I just survive? So when they rang that first bell and Francis is the one that came storming across the cage, whoa, to the point that Tyson had to move. My God, I'm gonna, what's this guy doing? It threw him off. But Tyson got his foot and he started moving around, right? He moves real well for heavyweight. Francis wasn't moving like that. Francis wasn't expending a lot of energy. Tyson would do the feint. Francis wouldn't fall for it. Tyson then is not able to get his offense going. He's been trained from youth. I faint, you react. I come here based on your reaction. You come here, you come here, you come, whatever it is you do, I come off of, I faint, you react, I attack. Francis didn't react. I couldn't believe it when I was seeing it. And I can't figure it out now. Is Francis so damn good? Which is a possibility. You wouldn't predict that since he, he didn't put an emphasis in this. Is he so damn good he wasn't scared when he reacted? Or was he so inexperienced? I will tell you guys, if you've never done jujitsu, just as a comparison, if you've never done jujitsu, one of the things that you need to learn is how to tap. It's not natural. You might think it is. Oh, somebody got me. I would just tap out. Well, but it's not a natural reaction. You actually have to learn to tap. Ah, that's a natural reaction. Stop. That's a natural reaction. When you see two guys fight in street fights, which is disgusting, but they film the stuff, they put it on social media. You don't ever see somebody tap. It's not a natural reaction. I'm just sharing for you. Like, these things have to be learned. Things that you might take for granted. Is that why Francis didn't do it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. But I know he preserved a lot of energy. I also know it's what allowed him to control space. So many guys, they flinch. The other guy moves or the guy moves or he jumps backwards. Francis stood right there. He, he didn't fall for it at all. Third round, fourth round, fifth round's coming. Francis is in the corner. His mouth is closed. He's breathing through his nose. It was incredible. It really was something incredible. I appreciated that Tyson has not offered any excuse. And Tyson didn't need to go the next step and say, look, that's garbage and he should have won. He didn't have to do that. I hoped that he would have. I wanted him to do that. But it's very hard when you got Usyk that's about to come in and face off and you already got a contract signed and business has got to move forward, right? There's a number of, I don't blame Tyson for not doing it. I just wish that he would have. You then have the WBC president. I got to call him that because I have the foggiest idea what his name is. In fact, the headline that I got this from didn't even state his name. I'm not sure anybody knows what this guy's name is. But the WBC president comes out and says, Francis Ngannou is now going to be a top 10 ranked heavyweight. It, that is so problematic. Like as, as much as you're trying to fix the wrong... If there was a wrong and you had sanctioning power, bring the judges in and fix it. You have that ability. Not even discussing that. You're going to make him a top 10 heavyweight. The reason that's a problem, I saw that too. I saw a great guy. Who are you going to replace? For the guys in the top 10, for Francis to go, you didn't say where he's going to go. You just said in the top 10. Let's imagine it's number nine. Is it number six? Is it number eight? Who are you going to bump off the list? And moreover, I mean, just from, just from a prestige standpoint, have any of you boxed? Have you boxed professionally? R raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have. Okay, all of you that did not have a better professional boxing record than Francis, you're 0-0. He's 0-1. How do you put him in the top 10? Now, I, I saw what you saw. I, I get it. I'm just sharing for you, for a president of a controlling organization to make that claim, I'm going to put a guy in the top 10. I'm going to bump somebody when the guy's 0-1. It's disappointing, the state of boxing. It's admirable, the state of Francis Ngannou. He has not complained. He's not going to complain. He was proud of what he did. He said before the fight, and he said after the fight, calmly and as a gentleman, if there's, if there's anything I've observed from Francis in this whole debacle, getting out of the MMA contract, the way that he said everything, putting the belt back, everything that he did, he stayed a gentleman, didn't he? He stayed very calm, didn't he? He stayed calm in the ring when he was competing. He stayed calm in the ring when he was doing his interview. He said, I know how boxing works. I know I could have beat him if it went to a decision. I'm proud of my performance. It's a special guy. It's a special night. WBC president is a special kind of stupid. You got special going all around.
Francis Ngannou, where do you go now, right? Guys, have you been following the news of the day? Are you reading combat news? Because I guarantee that headline, what I just said, that's everywhere. Where do, you, where do you go from here? And everybody can weigh in an opinion. Want to know who's was interesting, Luke Thomas? It was interesting because I don't know if Luke's right, but it was a tweet. So he's got 160 characters to operate within, but Luke maintained. This is off the top of my head. Luke, if I don't get you right, I'm doing my best here. There's nothing stopping the UFC contractually from making Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. They're only not pursuing it because they're choosing to not pursue it. I can't imagine that's right, but I don't know that it's wrong. I don't know what Francis's contract is like with the PFL. I would have to assume that his exclusive rights. Now, it has been reported that he's allowed to box. I don't know that I've ever believed that, but I don't know that it's not true. I believed there's what's called a carve-out. So it wouldn't just be an open clause, you can go box. It would be a carve-out specifically for Fury. But I don't have that as proof. Now, that's subsequent to the fact that the PFL, as it pertains to MMA, I believe locked him up exclusively. I can't imagine a $2 million signing bonus set wages of what Francis is going to make, but also set wages for what the opponent is going to make if he was, in fact, free. Now, this is what Luke said to my memory. It doesn't necessarily mean that's what Luke meant. Perhaps that's more open for interpretation, but let's take a look at that, right? Let's just use it as a jumping off point and take a look at that. Francis Ngannou has a frustration with Chael sharing his opinion when it's not pleasant to Francis Ngannou, okay? I would say that makes Francis normal. I would say there's no problem with that. I would understand that. But what Francis has never understood is the same people that paid him to fight are the same people that paid me to talk about his fight. And that's just a concept that he doesn't understand. And I bring that to you because when you talk about what's next, I'll tell you what should be next is a rematch against Fury. For sure. And I'll go a step further. Obviously, that's what should be next. But you have a problem, which is Usyk has a signed contract of December 23rd. Now, we're being told that the promoter has already pulled that, that the promoter is going to honor it, but that he's going to kick the can, I believe a month. He's going to kick it to January. Usyk has already responded and said, you do not have that right. We fight on the 23rd. Or, right, like anything, you can't force somebody to fight, but then there's a retribution. And the retribution and remedy for that is you strip fury. I don't know if any of those things are going to happen. But I'm sharing for you the mere fact that we understand that there's some moving parts here. And when I talk about where Francis gets frustrated with me, Francis should have demanded a rematch. He's surrounded with all these fake friends, right? He's got all these, all of a sudden he's shaking hands with musicians. To tell you how many people in MMA have fallen for that gig, right? We've had these guys show up to the events when you're red hot. As soon as you lose, they're long gone. But if they're truly your friends, why haven't they stood up? Why haven't they they talked about what a bunch of garbage this was? Why have athletes not united together and said, hey, I got a real problem with this? If they're truly your friends. His real friends did. Kamar did. Izzy did. I mean, there's a difference there. And I'm sharing what should happen next. Where should he go? Francis should have demanded a rematch right then. Even KSI was smart enough to demand a rematch. I don't know if KSI is going to get it, but I will tell you, if you're looking to match up KSI or you're looking to match up Will Theory, the number one opponent for Will and the number one opponent for KSI is, in fact, the rematch which it wouldn't be had KSI let it go. So Francis doesn't demand a rematch. Now, you could also chalk that up to very good sportsmanship, for sure. But that's not the topic of this piece. The topic of the piece is what's next. Let's start what should be next, the rematch with Fury. Not only did that narrative not make it out of the room, that narrative didn't make it out of the ring because Usyk got in the ring 
and allegedly through an interview, right? He gets in the ring to do an interview, which means he's got in the ring to speak. He spoke, nobody could understand what he was saying. But I mean, this is a very weird thing. There's a very weird thing. You're going to bring a guy there to speak. He's not there for anything else. He's there to speak. And then he speaks and nobody can understand what he says. That was Francis's ring. Francis controlled that ring. Usyk got in the ring in case, in case you didn't hear what the interpreter said. And he disrespected Francis with Francis still in the ring. That was Francis's ring. That was Francis's moment. That was Francis's crowd. Francis spoke directly to them. He just spoke directly to you. Usyk, through an interpreter, says that Tyson Fury was relaxed, that he carried him, that he took care of him, that he wasn't being serious, that he was trying to entertain. Right there in front of Francis, who I believe had his greatest sporting moment. Many people will say, and I've seen it be true more times than not, that your greatest victory will come in defeat. Now, whether you choose to believe that or not, I think that's what happened here with Francis. Francis was very nice and he was very polite, but good things in this business don't happen to the nice and polite guy. Usyk gets in the ring and disrespects more. Francis is still in the ring and builds a fight against who Francis should be fighting next. For sure. You guys would all agree with that. Now, if in fact we're going to do Fury Usyk, whether they move the date, they strip for it, whatever it is they're going to do, if in fact they are going in that direction, not to me, it feels like it's a little bit too late. Those things have got to be served right there. This narrative that I'm creating of doing the rematch, it's, it's not out there. You're not going to find it. I don't suggest that you guys haven't thought about it or, or, or told your roommate or something along these lines. I'm just sharing you. That's, that's not what's in the headlines. In the headlines is Fury versus Usyk, unification match, fact that the promoters tried to move the date. All of these things are in the headlines. A rematch with Francis is nowhere in there. Francis not only didn't call for the rematch, he actually paid the PFL a tremendous respect, and he said, my intent is to do MMA next. Now, that's very interesting, but there's no interesting opponent for him right now. Can we agree on that? Can you think of an interesting opponent? Can you think of one? You're likely going to have, and you're for sure going to have a conversation between Verdum and JDS, who are studs. These guys are studs. I'm sharing for you. Is that an MMA match that you're clamoring to see? Now, let me just offer you another example, because there happens to be one top boxer who's a free agent. His name is Deontay Wilder. So while we should be discussing a rematch between Francis and Fury, and look, this can change on a dime. Fury can come out and say, you know what? Strip me of the belt. Is that my punishment? Strip me of the belt. I will get to Usyk. I've been trying to get to Usyk, and I will. I have a new problem now, and I need to address this problem now. He can come out and say it, but we're having a whole nother conversation. And whatever Usyk's going to say about it, and that's all that he can do is say, because they're not going to put all he can do is say. It's going to be the battle of Francis by the battle of Usyk through the media. Francis is not overly skilled in that area, but Usyk can't speak the language, quite literally. Francis will win this battle should he choose to take it on. But if he doesn't, Francis versus Wilder works tremendously. And the PFL could do it. With Wilder, who's already appeared on their cameras and networks that they have some kind of a relationship with, they could do it right there. They have all of the infrastructure, put a ring instead, right? They got the same commission, same everything. You just got to change the apparatus. It's within the commission rules. It's got to be contested in a 17 by 17 ring. Fine. They could do that. But the PFL could also have a very profitable move to release Francis to go and box Wilder for somebody else. Unless it is, in fact, in Francis's contract that he is allowed to box, in which case he wouldn't even need to have the discussion. I can't imagine the PFL allowed that, though. I'm not even sure that's what Luke meant when Luke put that out. I could have that interpretation wrong. I say it because I, I, I'm not looking for back and forth with Luke. I use him as a very credible source, which he is, and that was my interpretation of what he was saying. I just don't think that that's so. But if you want to know, if you, if you want the big money match, that's it. That's it. Fury, Francis, works. Sure, but Fury's asking for a big bag, right? I'm not looking at it from a perspective of just what do you guys want to see. I'm looking at what do you want to see in, in conjunction with what is sustainable. 
And when you got a guy like Wilder, yeah, he's going to want a bunch of money, but it's not anywhere near the Tyson money. He's also available. He's also got nothing else to do. If Tyson and Usyk are tied up, I mean, just by example, Joshua didn't want to actually fight anybody. It's one of these interesting things where if I have a hope, if I have a hope for Francis right now with an understanding that Fury is what should do and Wilder is possible to do versus we don't have a meaningful heavyweight opponent for mixed martial arts right now, my decision is very clear. I like Francis in boxing. I'd like to see him compete with Wilder. Havlich Aspinall. Guys, I brought you this a week ago, and I told you DraftKings has Aspinall as the favorite. I shared with you that that surprised me. I shared with you I thought that that would change. But if you like that action, get over there quickly. It takes me about 45 minutes from the time I make these. They go to California. They get what's called processed. They get uploaded on YouTube. So it's not live, but I'm awful close. And when I put that out right away, comment section and my personal social media, Chael, you're wrong. Chael, you're wrong. Chael, you're wrong. When I read it, I never double-checked it. When I read it, I accepted the different viewers of you guys telling me that I was wrong, that Tom was not the favorite. I accepted it because I believed myself that it would change. I thought Aspinall would be the underdog. I was surprised when he was the favorite. I even put that in the piece. I never checked it. Now here we are five days later. I checked it this morning. Aspinall's the favorite. So I went back and checked the history of it. Aspinall's been the favorite the whole time, guys. It never dipped. It never went the other way. So I think you guys did to me what you think I did to you, which I think I surprised you by sharing with you that DraftKings has basketball the favorite. And this is close, by the way. This is a negative 125 to a plus 110. That is as close to even money as one needs to speak. Ian Parker would agree that's close to even money. But officially, right, if you're being technical, and I feel that we are being technical, and I'm taking my victory lap here, guys, Tom is a favorite. Do you think he should be? How would you get Tom to the favorite based on what we all know about MMA, which is, what have you done for me lately? How would you get there? Tom has had two fights in two years. He's one and one in those two. One of them was an injury. Now that's a concern for me. It's a concern for me when Tom was injured because when he returned, he returned to a main event. Well, that means he's returning to a five-round atmosphere. There are not very many fighters in the five-round club. There are not very many fighters, including those who are in the Hall of Fame. Are you guys aware of that? We have people in the Hall of Fame that aren't in the five-round club. The five-round club is rarer than the Hall of Fame. And I'm bringing that to you because they're great fighters that either were never scheduled for five Back upon a time, you had to be a championship match. No matter how good you were, could you get to that match? Then that switched to championships and main events. Just by example, there just wasn't a lot of top guys. And then the guys that actually made it to that spot and signed the contracts didn't go all five. I bring it to you because it's it's not that they don't go because they get finished. They get finished because they look for a way out. They look for a way out because they reach the point of exhaustion. Exhaustion is a combat athlete's biggest fear. Not failure. Not losing. Not getting hurt, getting cut, going to the emergency room. That, that's, that's in non-fighters' heads. Fighters are, are well beyond that. And I, I only share with you, they still do have fear. They still do have concerns. They still have a vulnerability. But it all has to come down and all has to do with, do I believe, should the end of the night come, I can hold up and finish the match? Can I follow the golden rule, which is to protect myself at all times? Like, that sounds like a beautiful thing. What does that mean to protect yourself? What does it mean? It means put your damn chin down and put your hands up. You're completely protected. If your chin is down and your hands are up, you are following the golden rule of protect yourself at all times. When you reach a level of exhaustion where you cannot do that, that's where the problem comes. And I'm only sharing this with you guys because when Tom returned after Curtis Blades, he walked right back into that environment. Look, Let's say the Curtis fight, and then it's one year till Tom's back in the ring. But it's eight months of recovery. Not training, but you're working out, you're staying busy. And then four months of a good, solid training camp. Fine, we're probably having this conversation. When you're hurt to the level that Tom was, those eight months, you're very stagnant, right? It's the same thing. 
that I believe Conor McGregor is going through now. When I watch the changes in Conor's body, right, you, you only get that big if you're not burning the appropriate amount of calories. Now, when I see training footage of Conor and the little small clips that came out through the Ultimate Fighter, even his Instagram, I tell you, he looks pretty damn good, right? Conor moves like a light guy. He moves like that weight's coming off. I divulge into that topic. Let's go back to Tom. So Tom's had two fights in two years. He's one and one in those two. Now, Tom's my guy, by the way. If you think I'm putting Tom down, no, not at all. I think this is exactly the spot Tom belongs in. This is the spot that I knew Tom eventually would find himself in. But everything in life is about timing. So is the timing right? Well, we'll find out on November 11th. Right now is about discussion. And then you have the people whose opinions really matter because they're parting with their hard-earned money. They believe that Tom is the favorite and is going to beat Pavlich. But I just laid out for you the bad news for Tom. He's one and one in his last two, and it took two years to get those. Let's look at the bad news if you're a Tom supporter about who you're facing. Sergey Pavlich! Six up, six down. Two things in common. They all got finished, and none of them got out of the first round. That is a shocking statistic for mixed martial arts. That is a story, and that is a marketing that could and would be used to the highest abilities if the people in charge of marketing felt that they had a partner. Now, I give Sergi a hard time, but he deserves it. I mean, this is a sport that is star-driven. In a time of social media, in a time where there is no better bang for your buck than social media, and not only do I not feel that Sergi does it, I actually took some time. I went to his Twitter account. I kind of followed through his account. He's got 35,000 followers. That makes him, in the Twitter era that goes back to 2009, that makes him the least followed heavyweight contender since Twitter began, which I believe you kids now, you're now calling it X, fine. I don't give Sergi a hard time for that. I'm trying to figure out why. Why is he not embracing this? Why is he not more busy on this? And it's one thing to not understand that you're just a diehard competitor, and there's a place for you. There's a place at the top. You can be a star. You, you can go win a belt at Madison Square Garden. There's a way to get there. It's just a longer road, right? The Chuck Liddell story is very real. Like, like Chuck became one of the most recognizable MMA fighters on earth. I think the most recognizable. A distinction that I think he still holds to this day. And he took the long road. Chuck didn't understand any of those things. He just understood win, 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 win. You do that enough times, you can still get there. I, I, I don't begrudge that. But there are ways to slow that, and there's ways to speed that up. And one thing about Pavlich, boy, he sure seems to be a great fighter. I mean, he's fully uh, competed as a competitor. That's a story. Let's get that out there on him. He's going to be mysterious. He's going to have his head down. He's the new coming of Fedor. I'm in. I'm in. But there's ways to do that. When I go to Pavlich's Twitter account, not only do I notice he is the least followed heavyweight contender since Twitter came into existence. I don't think it's him. Fine, fine. That's not good if people can see through that. And, and at that point, it doesn't matter if it's you or it's not you. At that point, it doesn't matter. If the viewer doesn't believe it's you, your problem's the same. It's all perception. So the problem's the same. Lots of people that have managers or have help do their social media. Lots of them get caught. It's not good. It changes what they said. It's a bet. But it is gender specific. If you are a male and you've got an assistant that's helping you and they're writing it and, they, and they're a female, all of a sudden you're, and I just don't think that Pavlich would have this many emojis. I don't think that Pavlich is out there on a Saturday and telling people, I just hope that you have a great day with exclamation points and five emojis. So is that skewing the odds, though? Did the odds come for what the odds are supposed to come for, which is this guy's skills versus this guy's skills, and how do you think, as an expert, how do you think it's going to happen when those skills clash, or is it just a big fan base? You might remember at one point Conor McGregor was an 11-to-1 dog to Floyd, and then the money came in from Ireland. Closed that gap down to 6-to-1. The fight went off. Connor was just, just worse than 7-to-1. But I'm sure, I mean, they almost cut it in half when that, when that fan base came in. 
My father was a big better, but he was also a horseman. And his ego would be directly related to what the odds of his horse was before the race. If, the, if we get there and his horse is, is a 14 to one underdog, it, it somehow affected him. I have the foggiest idea how. Nobody knows who owns a horse or but he did and he, and he he would go to the window and he would bet on that horse just to change those odds. Even if the horse was going to win or lose, he couldn't stand to see those odds on the board for the 40 minutes that it sat there before they went to the next race. It's a very real thing with human psychology. Well, they will purely back their guy because it's their guy. And I'm just asking you, is it right here? Do you support those odds? And if Tom's going to beat him as he's favored to do and has been from the beginning and DraftKings, boy, they get, they get it right a lot. You guys get it right a lot. What are you seeing? I like Tom in the fight too, but I think he needs to take his time. I think the surgery is very powerful at the beginning. I think he needs to watch that. One thing that will bite a guy in the ass is success. The biggest problem that Ronda Rousey had with Holly Holm, and I just offer that because that's two, two wonderful women whose names that you will know. But it wasn't the head kick or the kickboxing ability or the hard work or determination of Holly Holm. It wasn't those things. The biggest problem that Ronda had was the five previous opponents that Ronda had. When you start getting them out of there in 60 seconds, you start to expect to get them out of 60 seconds. When a fight is harder than you thought it was going to be, nothing. There is not, 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 number one, number one cause of an upset in sport is when the competition turns out to be harder than you thought it was going to be. Not harder than you prepared for. Not harder than you have the ability to go. Not harder conditioning from the strength and effort and heart that you well possess. Harder than you thought it was going to be. And things will unravel very, very quickly. And Sergi is on one of these roles where when you start to see 15 minutes and you start to see 18 minutes, not only have you never seen them, you also haven't prepared for them. Ring rust is real. Well, Sergi's been busy, Chael. How can you say that? Well, has he been busy? I told you that Tom has fought twice in two years, splitting results. But if you go and look at how many minutes Sergi got in those two years, they're not vastly different. And it's something to consider. And perhaps it's something that you've already considered. I don't set the lines over at DraftKings. You guys. You guys are the ones that dictate it. Where does the money come in? DraftKings had Tom from the jump. They've got Tom now. It's close. I admit it's close. But it's never been a time since the announcements of this fight that DraftKings has hedged that bet or that they've swayed. It has never gone in Sergi's favor. What do you think about that? I make comments to you guys all the time. I go to DraftKings, I look at the odds all the time. I bring them to you. I've never been pushed back on. I've never had people more surprised. I admit I'm surprised too. I admit I'm surprised too. So how do we get here? The people in the know, what is it about Tom over Pavlich? What is it that they know? And I want to leave you with one final thought. When you use history to look back on, the last-minute replacement generally comes in at a deficit. Don't forget this is a last-minute replacement for Tom. Sergi, while not being on the card, has been the backup fighter for close to three months. He planned the travel. He went through the camp. He has a financial participation. He has his paperwork and his license in. He has the travel. He has the date. The corners know that they're going out there. There was nothing new put in. He didn't know if he was going to compete, but even when he thought he might compete, he didn't know who he was going to be against, whether it was Steve Bayer Jones. So it's not a big deal for him to insert somebody else. Kamar Usman, who was in a figurative match at DraftKings for four years, was always the favorite over Chemayev. But when the fight actually happened, Chemayev became the favorite. Why? It was the same two guys. Why? Well, you betters and the odds makers thought there was a disadvantage for taking it on short notice. I'm asking, have you forgot that Sergi knew about this? Have you forgot this is short notice? Have you forgot it's short notice, but only for one guy? The favorite, Tom. All right, guys, I've had it with you all. But I'll see you again on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. Enjoy your week, everybody. You're welcome.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.